All right. Good evening, everyone. For those um, observant few of you, um, I presume you'll be able to see that I am not in my usual setting. Um, but I believe everything will go smoothly. Everything is um, set up and we're ready to go and start for start a nice lesson. So anyways, um, it's good to be here. I am thankful that we get to study this book again tonight. And by God's grace, we'll be finishing it um, this evening. And um, at the end of the, the, the lesson, I'll also be giving you... Um, the questions for your Ephesians exam. So um, last week we got up to verse 4 of Ephesians chapter 6. Verse 4 of Ephesians chapter 6. And we were talking about, um, we have been talking about relationships. We spoke about in Ephesians chapter 5. We we spoke about um, um, the husband and the wife relationship. And last week we started looking in Ephesians chapter 6 at children and their parents and um, now in um, today's lesson we'll be picking up in verse 5 where it will be speaking about servants and their masters so um, basically employer employee relationship so that's what we'll be digging into tonight starting with that and then also the last part of the or the second part of chapter 6 is Christian soldiers and um, then Paul's final greeting to the Ephesian church so before we get into our lesson tonight, let's just have a word of prayer together and um, then we'll get into verse 5. Lord, we, we come to you and um, we thank you so much that we can say that it's so sweet to trust in you. But Lord, at the same time, we want to say, oh, to trust you more, Lord. Um, Lord, we ask that you would increase our faith, um, help us to grow closer to you, to love you more, Lord, and to trust your word more in every aspect of our lives, that it would be our, I want to say, our origin in everything that we take on in this life, Lord. So we do thank you um, that we have your word, but we do ask that you please help us to grow more in its knowledge and um, its wisdom, and Lord, that ultimately our faith will be increased and that we would be better um, able to to serve you and uh, lord that's my prayer for tonight lord please equip us um, please come teach us father um, come come print these words on our heart lord that they will stay with us that whenever we i almost want to say every day when we get to do with a servant master relationship lord that we would we would do it in a way that glorifies you and lord that we would fight this christian battle that we have um, that we would do it well, and that we will do all that we can to stand against the attack that comes our way. Thank you, Lord, that we can be here. Please come be with us tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 5. It says, Servants, be obedient. Um, be obedient to your, to your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in singleness of your heart as unto Christ. So immediately the lesson we, we learned from chapter, um, from the previous verses in chapter 6 about children being obedient to their parents immediately comes into the picture when we look at the servant-master relationship. And that's why we said it's so important for children to get that 
down as young children, the obedience aspect, to get that down. Because immediately it needs to be applied in the workplace. It says, servants, be obedient to them that are your masters. So this fundamental, this basic principle in life is becoming increasingly scarce. I think if you ask any teacher or university lecturer, it is becoming more and more sought after to have people who are willingly obedient. And, um, and not surprisingly, so too is the desire to adhere to biblical principles, because biblical principles and these things require obedience. And this is a biblical principle that servants should be obedient to those that are their masters. And if that foundation isn't laid as a child, then this will be a challenge. And so that's a challenge to us to be obedient, even as adults, to those who are our masters. Now it says, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh. According to the flesh. Now, this is just to, to differentiate between earthly masters and our ultimate master, who is God. So Paul says, according to the flesh, because he's making this distinction between our earthly master and our ultimate master, God. Paul emphasizes that your obedience to your boss or teacher should be purely within that sphere in which they have a say. Um, not in every aspect of your life. It's easy to take um, what your boss has to say and bring it into your home and how you manage your home and how much time you spend at home or whatever the case may be. So it's important to make that distinction that they are your masters according to the flesh. Your whole life, so your life as a whole, has only one master. And um, we, we actually see that in verse 5 through 7. We see, see at the end of verse 5, it says, as unto Christ. In verse 6, it says, not, as, not with eye service as men pleases, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Verse 7, with good will doing service as to the Lord. So Paul keeps bringing the servant-master relationship back to God. He did that with the marriage relationship. He did it with the parent and child relationship. So ultimately, your life has one master. Your submission is ultimately to God. And so when it comes to the larger aspect of your life, your obedience and your submission is primarily to God. And that's why your boss, your ser you as the servant, you're only, you only have to be obedient to your master according to the flesh, not in all matters of life. So as soon as your boss has sway over your conduct and personal decisions, something is out of balance and you must check yourself um, whether you are trying to serve two masters. As we read in Matthew 6 verse 24, it says that no man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. So you have to check yourself whether you have two masters in your life. You can only have one. Now it says at the end of verse 5, it says, with fear and trembling, with fear and trembling in singleness of heart. So essentially what this is saying is do your job with sincerity, integrity, and faithfulness. Faith, faithfulness. While you treat your boss with great humility, respect, and honor. All right. So that's the, that's the theme that Paul is creating is to do your job with 
sincerity, integrity, and faithfulness. That's that, that singleness um, of heart. But to treat your boss with great humility, respect, and honor. That's that with fear and, and trembling, if I could say. That is with humility, respect, and honor. So something else worth mentioning. Um, some accuse the Bible of condoning slavery. Um, this is certainly not the case. Paul condemned slavery. In fact, read in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 10, um, how Paul refers to men-stealers as lawless and disobedient people. So men-stealers, that is truly slavery, taking people against their will. Um, that is something that Paul completely condemns, those men-stealers. So this is not talking about slavery. Um, a biblical servant um, is not a slave, um, as we define it at least today. A servant was often someone who sold themselves um, into servanthood to repay a debt. That's what a servant was. And in many ways, we today um, are biblical slaves or servants um, if we're employed. Because the reason you are employed is because you have debt or because you have expenses that you need to cover. And so because you have these things that you need to cover, you need to be a servant to someone who can supply the funds for you to be able to have those things or afford those things. So in a way, we're all slaves, biblically defined, not as it is falsely defined today and then read into scripture. Now, verse six and seven, it says, not with eye service um, as men pleases, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will doing service as to the Lord and not to men. Now, this reiterates, I want to say, the attitude. It reiterates the attitude with which the servant of the Lord should do his work. The attitude. It speaks about will. In verse 6, we see the will of God from the heart. In verse 7, we see with good will. That is, that is with a good attitude. That is with an attitude that lines up with God's will. So to do it with a, a good will, doing service as to the Lord and not unto men. So he or she should do it not just to please their boss, but to please God. It may be easy to, to slack when there aren't any human eyes on you when you're at work. So that is to say, eye service for men, right? So when people are watching, you're doing service so that they can see that you are doing your job. So it's easy to do your work when people are watching. But remember, you are ultimately working for God. And so that is why when you're at the workplace, irrespective of people watching you, you must do it with all your might. Ecclesiastes chapter 9 um, verse 10 says, Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with all thy might. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, a verse familiar with all, for all of you, I'm pretty sure, is whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do it all, sorry, to the glory of God. So it's all for God's glory. And whatsoever your hand findeth to do, do it with all your might. That is the attitude with which the Christian should serve his master or his boss. Verse 8 says, knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. Now, when he says whether he be bond or free, it just means that God is no respecter of persons. We actually see that in verse 9. 
um, where we see at the end of the verse, neither is there respect of persons with him. So it's talking about God. So God is no respecter of person. He does not look to see what your social status is, whether you are a master or whether you are a servant, whether you are bond or whether you are free before he decides to bless you or not. That's not what God's God's um, vantage point or the, the reason for him making a decision is not based on your social status. Anyone who is trying to live and work according to God's will. That's what we saw in verse 6 and 7. So anyone who is trying to live and work according to God's will from right principles in their heart and with the view of God's glory that we saw here as well, um, in the view of God's glory, shall receive the fruit and advantage of doing work with such an attitude. So this is not a, a necessarily a promise to bless you financially or anything like this, but this is a promise that those who work with the right attitude in a way that in which they want to please God with everything that they do, they don't do it for eye service. That is a promise that God will, uh, you will reap the reward of your labor um, and that God will bless an attitude like that in the workplace. So in other words, no good thing done for God's glory will go unrewarded, either in this life or the next. So that is, a, I want to say, a promise you can hold on to. And that is that no good thing done for God's glory will go unrewarded. All right, verse 9. It says, And ye masters, so now it switches to the master, do the same things unto them, forbearing, threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven, neither is there respect of persons with him. Neither is there respect of persons with him, as we saw. Now, Paul flips the coin on its head and speaks about the masters. He essentially says that all the principles he spoke about to the servants apply to the masters. Okay, Because he says in the, in the beginning of this, do the same things unto them. So he's flipping the coin. He says, okay, masters, now the standard that you expect or that the servant is supposed to treat the master, the master should treat the servant. Why? Because of their common allegiance to the Lord. Their common master. So if the master is saved and the servant is saved, then I want to say the same standard holds to both of them. Now, we know that there is a, an obvious respect and an honor from the servant towards the master and a, a natural authority that there is, um, that there should be. But it doesn't mean that it's the one walking over the other. There's still a servant heartedness about it. There's still a humility about it in the master's leadership of the servant. So it says, so why, why should they treat? Because of their common master. Both of them are children of God. Now it says forbearing threatening, forbearing threatening. Godly bosses should not ever you abuse their power by threatening their employees to work. So they should never abuse their power by threatening their employees, but rather use their authority to execute justice with grace. As he too, this boss, strives to do the will of the Lord from the heart. Now, this is the way the workplace should be under a godly boss. But unfortunately, um, for many of us, 
this is not the case. We don't work in a godly environment and under a godly boss. Does that mean that we are exempt of then adhering to this, this verse, to this principle of the servant towards his master? Um, certainly not. Um, we are still responsible to honor, to respect our bosses. Not because they are great, because, but because we do it unto the Lord. That is why we treat them a certain way. That is why we work hard, because we do it unto the Lord. We obey them as long as their commands and their desires are not sinful. The same as the husband and wife relationship and the same as the child and parent relationship. You obey them as far as their command is for you to do something that is not necessarily sinful. If they ask you to lie, if they ask you to do something corruptly, obviously, that's a different case. But obey them as far as they have the authority of you and you respect and honor their position and your servant-heartedness towards them. Now, the attitude a Christian... So if I could summarize all the way from chapter 5, verse 21, through to verse of chapter 6, verse 9, the attitude a Christian should approach all relationships is summarized by um, verse of chapter 5, verse 21, that says, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. I want to say that is the key to all um, Christian relationships. And I want to say a part of that is also chapter 6 and verse 6 and 7 that says, not with eye service as men pleases, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart and with good will, doing service as to the Lord and not unto men. So, um, or you could summarize it by Colossians 3 verse 23 that says, and whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. So that summarizes the way in which you should parent. It summarizes the way in which you should be a boss or a servant. It summarizes the way in which you should be a husband or a wife. It's all unto the Lord, um, done in reverence of God, of who he is, ultimately submitting to him as your master, and then also um, serving one another with humility. Now, verse 10. We're changing subjects now, and we're going into the Christian soldier um, or the, the, the Christian fight, could I say, subject of this chapter. So verse 10 says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. And in the power of his might. So now before before we get into, um, I want to say, this section, um, I think it's important to note a few things. The first is that ultimately Satan, Satan's power over Christians is already broken. And the great war is won through Christ's death and resurrection, which forever conquered the power of sin. So that, that battle, that ultimate battle over sin has already been won through Jesus Christ. However, in this life, in the flesh, the first thing you must remember is that trials and temptations will come. That is why Paul in verse 10 urges them to be strong. Because he knows he needs to encourage them to be strong. If there was nothing to fight against, there would no, be no need for strength. And so the first thing you need to know is that trials and temptations will come. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3, 
It says that thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. In 2 Timothy 3 verse 12 it says, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. In 1 Peter 4 verse 12 it says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. And in John 15, 18, Jesus said, If the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. So you should expect um, an upward battle, especially if you desire to live godly. And so the, f- the first thing, primarily, before we get into this Christian battle, know that trials and temptations will come. The second thing you need to know is that the source of strength and power is not of ourselves, but of God. It says in verse 10, be strong in the Lord. And then it says in the power of his might. So your strength is in the Lord. It's in the power of his might. So firstly, remember trials and trials and temptations will come. Secondly, remember this, the source of your strength is God. It's not yourself. And thirdly, remember that the Lord does not leave you destitute. He doesn't leave you without any advice. The I want to say the means. He gives you the means to be able to fight this fight. And that's what we get into um, in the rest of this chapter is the means um, to fight this fight. So he gives us the strength. He's the source. But he's also the means. He gives us the means in which we can fight this fight. If we know that this fight is coming and we prepare ourselves for this fight. We see that in verse 11. It says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. So put on the whole armor of God. It's the armor that God gives you. And so he gives us the means. So the next time you go through a spiritual trial or temptation, remember this. Remember that God is your strength. Remember that these things are natural and they should come, especially to those who desire to live godly and love God. And then also that the Lord doesn't leave you destitute, but with the temptation has already given you the way of escape. And he has also given you the the tools with which you need to fight this fight. So verse 11, as we read just now, we can see that in verse 11, we are capable, right? We are capable of standing against the wiles of the devil only if we put on the whole armor of God. It says, put on the whole armor of God. Why? That you may be able to stand. So the only way you'll be able to stand is if you have put on the whole armor of God. And that is the, that is the, 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 the principle that Paul is laying here in the beginning. If you neglect any piece of armor, no, pieces of armor, truth, righteousness, gospel preparedness, faith, salvation, the word of God, and prayer, if you neglect any of those things, you leave yourself exposed, and it is only a matter of time before that exposed area will be attacked by Satan. Now, it uses the word wiles in verse 11, the wiles of the devil. Now, this word wiles is um, can be translated as the schemes of the devil, his craftiness, his cunningness, his deceitfulness. Um, so you get the idea of what this word wild means. And um, we, we read in, in chapter 4 
um, verse 14, where it speaks of false teachers and it speaks about their cunning craftiness whereby they wait, um, lie in wait to deceive. And um, so false teachers are clearly a tool that Satan uses. It's part of the wiles that he uses um, to attack is through false teaching, false doctrine. Um, and so be aware of that. Be, um, be aware of the teaching that you are receiving. Um, test these things, whether they are so. Um, compare them to Scripture and see whether these things truly are what God's Word is saying. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, we read that we should not be ignorant of Satan's devices. It says, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we were, we are not ignorant of his devices. So if you're ignorant of his devices, Satan will get an advantage over us, over you. So um, you need to be aware of his devices. You need to be aware of his wiles, um, his methods, the way he does things to deceive us. And the only way we get rid of this ignorance that would lead us to be deceived, um, whether it be through a false teacher or anything that Satan uses to deceive us, um, we need to we need to know God's word. That's the only way you'll be able to get rid of this ignorance. You need to know God's word. And two items of the armor of God um, um, are linked to our, our our fight or to the to the word of God, and that is truth, and that is the word of God. So the sword of truth, right? And so these things are linked to your armor, and those are directly connected to the Word of God. So the Word of God is critical. You'll see it as we go through the rest of the armor, if you are to stand against the wiles of the devil. Verse 12, it says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. You need spiritual armor because your fight is predominantly against spiritual powers that's why you need spiritual armor let me say again what i said earlier the lord does not leave us destitute he gives us the strength and the correct armor so the lord really helps us to be well prepared for this battle there are so many christians who live in fear because they are caught up in, some, in false ideas about this spiritual battle. Every symbol or event or dream is somehow connected to some spiritual power trying to get them. You have so many people who live with that idea. There are triangles in your house. There's a boomerang behind me or whatever the case is. Um, and that that's some sort of spiritual power um, that, that, has, you know, that can affect you. Um, but that comes from a false understanding of this spiritual battle now although it is clear that there is a spiritual battle raging and that we are to prepare ourselves accordingly fear should not be present in the christian's heart fear should not be present in the christian's heart unless you're leaning on your own strength unless you do not put on the armor of god and um, you are not saved and trusting in christ for your salvation yes then you have something maybe to fear for especially eternally, but um, um, the Christian who is serving God has nothing to fear when it comes to these spiritual battles, but still has something to do to prepare themselves. So focus on personal preparation. Um, 
that is the armor, and lean on God's strength and Christ's victory. So you you focus on your personal preparation, on the armor, righteousness, truth, um, God's word, um, all of those things. You focus on that, but um, you lean on God's strength. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 10, it says, And ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. So Christ is the head of all principality and power. Christ is already one. He is greater than anything that you will face. Any death, sin, struggle, trial, Christ is greater than that. So lean on that. That's why you have nothing to fear. And in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 22, it says, Who has gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God, speaking of Jesus, angels and authorities and powers being made subject to him. All these powers, all these beings in the heavenly places are subject to Jesus Christ. And that is why you need to rest in Christ's victory and in his headship and you in submission to him. So an undue emphasis on your involvement in spiritual warfare will leave you unbalanced, fearful and often defeated. Remember that Christ is above all principality, power and power. And it's only through him that you have the victory. Verse 13. Wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the evil um, in the evil day and having done all to stand. So Paul largely repeats um, verse 11 uh, as he once again emphasizes the need for every believer to put on the whole armor of God. But he mentions here the evil day. Now the evil day is any day in which the devil attacks. But we know that the days are evil according to um, chapter 5 and verse 16, redeeming the time for the days are evil. So anyone who, who lives godly will face this evil day more often than not, since the evil one is seeking such ones to devour. But it's these same individuals who Satan targets, if I could put it like that, um, who are most frequently targeted by Satan, who know with greatest confidence that the battle has already been one. So when that roaring lion comes, they resist him steadfast as they look to Jesus, the author and the finisher of their faith. Let me point out something else, though. Um, these experienced Christian soldiers have done all to stand. You see that at the end of um, at the end of verse 13, it says, and having done all to stand. One of the keys to the spiritual battle is to be diligent and to be disciplined. Diligent and to be disciplined. So that's what I think Paul is aiming at when he says, having done all to stand. You can open to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Um, and you'll see it speaks about the Christian soldier. Um, so it's the same image that Paul is painting in, in Ephesians chapter 6 and 2 Timothy chapter 2. And um, we read in verse 3, it says, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. A disciplined and diligent soldier 
who does not entangle himself, but remains faithful to the call of duty. You see, that's why I'm saying discipline. That's why I'm saying diligent. It's someone who's applied themselves to what their call is. This, this soldier's call of duty will change from day to day. But not, not every day is the frontline battle. But he remains a soldier every day. So even though he's not on the front line every day, the, 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 the soldier is still called to be a soldier and remains a soldier. The day that soldier goes to battle without his armor or without his weapon due to a lack of diligence um, is the day he is most likely to fall prey to the adversary. So the, the, the theme of a diligent and a disciplined soldier um, definitely falls in line with what we read in Ephesians 6 where it says, having done all to stand. And I want you to notice the perfect balance between God providing the strength and the equipment um, that we saw earlier in Ephesians chapter 6. And us learning the skill of trusting him and studying to know our equipment. So God gives the strength and God supplies the equipment. But we still have to trust his, his strength, his victory, and we need to study um, and get familiar with our equipment. So there's a perfect balance that we see exists there in this Christian battle. Now, back in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 14, it says, Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness. So here we get into our first weapons. Your loins girt about with truth. Now, when you speak about truth, we, we touched on this when we studied Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15. And we saw how truth is of utmost importance if any Christian is to avoid being tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. Truth, objective, unchangeable, and God-created truth is the only thing that will offer you offer our wandering hearts stability. And that's important to have. You need to have stable, I want to say stable footing when you take on this Christian battle. And truth is the only thing that will give you that certainty, that stability. And where do we find such truth? Only in the revealed word of God. Only in the revealed word of God. But I think there is also a very surface level truth to this statement. And that is to simply always speak the truth regardless of the situation. It says your loins must be girded. That's the undercoat that covered everything and um, was put on first. Before you put any armor on, the undercoat underneath everything was your loins that was girded about with truth. So truth should be primary. It must be the first thing. It must be primary and present underneath all the other armor. Applying this basic virtue, um, we learn as a oh, this basic virtue that we learn as a child to speak truthfully, not to lie, um, will keep us from a lot of destruction. And so that's why I think primary underneath everything, the Christian should always speak truthfully, regardless of the situation. And then it speaks about your breastplate of righteousness. Now, righteousness is such a distinctive characteristic of God that it's not hard to see why it is one of the most important pieces of armor. Um, it is the breastplate 
um, God's righteousness that covers us and keeps us alive. It's God's righteousness that gives us life. And so it covers our heart, um, which we should keep with all diligence. But it's also Christ's righteousness in us that produces practical, or let me say, a practical love for what is right. That is what righteousness is, is a love for what is right. Um, and so it is Christ's righteousness in us that um, produces that love for doing what is right. So a lack of righteousness, um, or a lack of this righteousness developing in us will leave us vulnerable to our enemy. So essentially, when we read about the breastplate of righteousness, this vital piece of equipment that protects the core, the, the organs, the things that keep us alive and gives us life, um, if I could put it simply, it is to eschew evil and to do good. That's what we read in First Peter chapter 3, verse 11. And that word is, is basically to shun or to avoid evil and to do good. All right, verse 15. And your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. So everywhere you go, okay, that's why it's speaking about your feet. So your walk, everywhere your feet go, um, you must be ready to preach the gospel. It does not say you have to preach the gospel everywhere you go. But you have to be ready. You have to be prepared everywhere you go. So let me ask you, are you ready and prepared to preach the gospel wherever and whenever God calls you to do so? I say ready and prepared. When I say ready, I mean willing to open your mouth. Are you ready? Are you willing to open your mouth? And prepared, I mean do you know the gospel message from Scripture? So are you ready and are you prepared? We read in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. But sanctify the Lord God in your heart and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you for the reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. All right. Be ready to answer every man that asketh you for a reason for the hope. Testimony. The gospel, why you're saved and how they can be saved. Are you ready? Are you prepared? Now, let me share something personal with you briefly, because I believe what I just said could be misunderstood and misused. Um, when I say, are you ready and prepared to preach the gospel whenever and wherever God calls you to do so? What I mean by that is, have you prayed and asked God to use you where you are and to give you the wisdom you need to know what to say and when to say it. You see, it's easy to say, I'll speak if spoken to. Um, or if a lost person brings up the topic of church or God, um, then I'll speak to that person. Um, that may happen from time to time, but it's highly Unlikely. So I'm not saying sit back. Yes, I know the gospel. Um, and if that person brings up the subject, I will speak about it. I'm asking, have you prayed and asked God to give you the opportunity, open the door and give you the right words to speak to that person when God opens that door? That's why I say pray. Because 
you'll be amazed to see if you sit back and say, I'll speak when spoken to, you'll get such few, so few opportunities to share the gospel. As soon as you start praying, your mindset, your your focus, the way you listen to conversations um, changes and opportunities pop up that you may have never seen before or God opens a door wide open and um, but it comes from your heart being in the right place your desire to share the gospel and then God through his spirit giving you the right words to speak when that opportunity does come but it starts with prayer and your heart lining up with God's desire to reach this lost world and so don't say I will share the gospel when um, that door is wide open right in front of me and someone is asking me how to be saved. No, pray for an opportunity to speak to that lost person at work, that person you see every day or whatever the case is, for God to open that door and to show you how, when, what, and even through your daily life, your testimony, um, how to conduct yourself, that your life brings up questions. And so let, let that be an encouragement to you, but don't use it as an excuse to sit back and do nothing. Pray about it. And seek for those opportunities. Now the question might be. Why is this part of the armor of God? Why is, why is being prepared to share the gospel. Part of the armor of God. Because being a witness. Okay, being a witness for Christ. From a pure heart. As we learned on Sunday evening. In other words with the right motive. I want to be a witness for God. Not for eye service. Um, to be a men pleaser. But I want to be an, a, a witness for God. For his sake. For his glory. So being that witness strengthens you in every aspect of your Christian life. And so it's through that that you are stronger, that you are more able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Because witnessing, sharing the gospel, having an impact in people's lives truly changes the way you pray. It changes the way you read God's word. It changes the way you live. Um, so it's definitely part of the armor of God. Verse 16, it says, Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked. Now, above all, um, the idea here is to is not to elevate faith. Okay, So it's not to elevate faith in importance or value above the rest. So it's not that faith is the most important piece of armor necessarily. But rather to use it in a form of covering, like overall. So um, when it says above all, it's almost like overall or covering all. Um, just like a large shield, which it is, it is the, the, the um, shield of faith. Just like a large shield is held up to cover all of the soldier. So too faith should be held up in front of the Christian in all circumstances. That's what he means when he says above all. This trust or faith in what God has said is necessary to protect every Christian from the fiery temptations fired at him from the enemy. You need to hold up the shield that covers all of you. That is in front. That is over all of you to block these fiery temptations that are fired at you. From Satan, And if you stand on the word of God and his promises, you will be able to quench those 
temptations. In Psalm 119 verse 11, it says, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. So it's through that hiding of God's word, picking up the shield of faith, because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so it is holding up this word of God, this, this shield that is overall, that's covering all of you, holding that up. And through that, you will be able to, um, as David said, I have hid thy word in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Verse 17 it says, And take the helmet of salvation, that is the sword of the Spirit, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Take the helmet of salvation. Now, Paul is speaking to believers. So he's not speaking about attaining salvation, but rather he's talking about the believer's assurance of salvation. In um, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 8, we read about the hope um, of salvation, the helmet being the hope of salvation, not just the helmet being um, salvation, the helmet of salvation, but the helmet of the hope of salvation. And so it's because of that that I, I believe that it's talking about assurance, because assurance is ultimately that hope that you have. And so if Satan can't change anything about your state, he'll go after your standing. He'll go after your hope by attacking you with doubt and discouragement. Now, what hope? Well, that hope that you are a member of the body of Christ, that you are blessed with all spiritual blessings and a part of the entire predestined plan of God. That's what Satan goes after. You see, eternal security is a fact. Assurance is a feeling. And Satan can't change the facts, but he sure can change the feeling. And unfortunately, too many Christians and people in general act on feelings in God's greater plan. So you don't want Satan to grab a hold of your assurance, and he sure will try to do that. Now it says as well, the sword of the Spirit. Um, this we know is the Word of God. It, it says that at the end of the verse, which is the Word of God. And in Hebrews 4 verse 12, it speaks about the Word of God, which is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing and even dividing asunder the soul and the spirit, and of the joints and the marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. So Hebrews 4 verse 12 says that the sword is unlike any sword, this word of God. No weapon of Satan can defeat the sword of the Spirit. We see a very practical example of this in Jesus. Out of context, um, used scripture. And Jesus would use the Bible um, to, to, to fight this temptation that was coming his way. Jesus used the, the word not just to defend, but the natural extension of you. And um, we see that in Second Samuel, where one of um, Daniel's mighty men um, were fighting. And they were fighting so hard and holding on to their sword for so long that eventually they, they, his hand cleaved to his, um, to his sword. And so that's the, that's the picture you want. You want to hold on to your sword so much, to be so familiar with it, to have fought with it so much that no weapon of Satan um, can do anything against that unique sword. And so 
just so you know, Hebrews 4.12. Hebrews 4.12 is your attendance verse for tonight. Verse 18, it says, Praying always with all, supplic with all prayer and supplication um, in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all persever perseverance and supplication for the saints. Now, prayer is not likened unto a weapon in this context. But it sure is vital to a Christian soldier's battle. It, I want to say it covers all the gaps or the moments of weakness on our part. So prayer covers all those gaps um, and those moments where we might not be paying attention to the battle as we should. And that's where prayer, so we have a beautiful layout of what the Christian prayer should be um, made up of. We see in verse 18, it says, praying always, always. And it says at the end of the verse, with all perseverance. So the Christian's prayer should be filled with continuance. And all these items that we'll be going through now regarding Christian prayer is, is key to your Christian battle. Um, your prayer should be filled with continuance and supplication. That means it must be filled with, with godly requests. Um, personally and for the all God's will is for us God's will um, so that's what simply what it means to have a to pray in the spirit is to have a heart that seeks God's will you need to pray with that heart it also um, shows us that well, it, verse um, 17 also speaks verse 18 also speaks about and watching watching um, prayer your prayer must be alert and your prayer must, you must be ready to hear from God. That's what it means to watch. Not like the disciples were praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. So you must be watching. That's part of the Christian prayer. And then it also says, for all the saints. And in verse 19 it says, and for me. So praying for all the saints and personally for Paul in this case, which he was also a saint. So the prayer, a Christian's prayer should be concerned for the well-being of the saints. So your Christian's prayer should be concerned for the well-being of the saints. Two examples of that such prayer we actually find in Ephesians. At the end of Ephesians chapter 1 and at the end of Ephesians chapter 3, we see how Paul prays for the Ephesian church. And you'll see his heart, his concern for these Ephesians. And so this is definitely part not only of Paul's theology, but also part of his practice. So test yourself and see if there's anything you can improve on. In your prayer life. Now, we've basically finished. I want to say this. Um, could I say the section of the armor of God and um, the spiritual battle? And um, nowhere in this passage did we read anything about, could I say, anointing oil, um, repetitive use of in the name of Jesus, or anything, anything like that, um, which is often um, these days supposedly common practice in Christian warfare, uh, anointing things and, and, and praying repeatedly in the name of Jesus and demanding things in the name of Jesus. Um, so rather, this passage was focusing on a personal devotion to pursue Christian virtues like truth, righteousness, peace, and focusing on a dependence on God's strength. That's how the Christian soldier fights his or her battles, by focusing 
on these Christian virtues, growing in faith, in truth, in, um, in peace, um, growing in these things, in the knowledge of the word of God, and learning to trust God, um, God's strength more. And so these are the things that a Christian should concern themselves when it comes to the Christian battle, and not these superficial things that have no power. Verse 19 says, after asking and saying that they're praying for all the saints, it says, and for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. So general prayer for the saints is of utmost importance. But from time to time, it's necessary to single out and to focus towards a single brother or sister and his or her specific needs. Paul certainly had many other needs. If you are familiar with his story and his physical needs, um, he's in prison while he's writing this. So he had many other needs, but he singled out this one need. And this need is for boldness, boldness, boldness to do what? To faithfully share the gospel, no matter the cost. And I'm sure we can all relate to this request of Paul to faithfully Share the gospel, no matter what the cost. That's why he says that I might open my mouth boldly and make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in bonds. So he says, even if the cost, and in this case it was, and even if the cost from where he is now in bonds may be death, whatever it is that he will still faithfully share the gospel message, no matter what the cost. Um. We spoke about this earlier. We spoke about, you know, when we spoke about the gospel, um, the feet shot with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Um, and now we are to go about this endeavor to share the gospel and that we need to do it prayerfully. But I think that there's something else for us to take courage in. And that is that it takes power from on high to do so boldly. Paul says that... Um, for me, that utterance may be given unto me. It's something that needs to be given unto you from God, this boldness. Um, and so it's something we need to pray for. So I think um, I want to say this. We need to take courage in that. And But you can open to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I want to show you something else. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians 9. And verse 16. So, yes, this boldness needs to be given from on high. It's something that you need to pray for. But neglecting that is not something that you should use as an excuse not to share the gospel. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and um, verse 16, we read, For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. Necessity is laid upon me. Then he says, For if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me. So he says, Whether I want to or not, I have to preach the gospel. And willingly, I want to say, is to do it boldly. And so that's why he's praying and he says, Pray for me that I might do it boldly, that I might do it willingly, that there may be reward for me as I do this. And so he never used his lack of boldness, his lack of willingness 
Um, he never used that as an excuse not to share the gospel. Um, one brief note on the mystery of the gospel that I want to make back in Ephesians chapter 6 um, is that this is more than just the death, death burial and resurrection um, of Jesus Christ. Um, this includes all the doctrines that come as a result of the gospel message. In other words, discipleship is part of adhering to this call, this call to share the mystery of the gospel. Yes, preaching the gospel for someone to be saved. Yes, that's part of it. But discipling someone, because those are the truths that come as a result of the gospel. All right, we're almost done. Verse 20, it says, um, For which I am an ambassador, ambassador, ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. We spoke about the prisoner of the Lord. In chapter 4, verse 1, how Paul considered himself not to be a prisoner of the state, but a prisoner of the Lord. But Paul gives us even more insight into his mindset during his imprisonment by using this phrase, ambassador in bonds. He, like all of us, are ambassadors of the gospel. Now, for the sake of time, I'm not going to turn you there. But in 2 Corinthians 5, 18 to 22, we read about how we are um to be ministers of this ministry of reconciliation and how Jesus reconciled us to God and how this ministry has been given to us to reconcile man um, to God and that ourselves be reconciled to God. And then it says, for we are the ambassadors of Christ. So if you name the name of Christ, in other words, you proclaim to be saved, you represent Christ to the world. You are his ambassador. And that is huge. And that is something that should not be taken lightly. That's why in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19, we read that, Let everyone that names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Because your testimony is, I want to say, the image of Jesus Christ to those people around you. And that is a huge responsibility. So don't be the Christian ambassador that leads people away from Christ instead of leading them towards him. That's what Paul is praying for, that he may be bold, that he may be willing, that he will be that ambassador um, that lead people to Christ. And that even in his bonds, he may be a true ambassador and not cave in to the pressures around him. So as ambassadors, we beseech in Christ's stead, that's what the last verse says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, after talking about being ambassadors of Christ. It says we, are, we beseech people in Christ's stead. And we preach the message of verse 21 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where it says that he was made sin who knew no sin. Um, and he made us the righteousness of God. And um, so that is an absolutely wonderful blessing. And that is the message of the gospel that we take to the, to the world. Now, Paul goes into his final greetings, his final greetings from verse 21. He says, but that you may know my affairs and how I do. Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, shall make known unto you all things, whom I have sent unto you for the same purpose, that ye may know our affairs and that he might comfort your hearts. So Paul knew because of the concern for the Ephesians, for his well-being and safety, Paul promises to send Tychicus 
to fill them in and to comfort them. That way, no false rumors could be spread about him and his how he's doing. And when Tychicus returns to Paul, Paul gets to know how the Ephesians are doing and how he can pray and better minister to them. Now, who was Tychicus? Um, well, he was, as the verse says, he was a faithful minister in the Lord. He wasn't a pastor. He wasn't a missionary. wasn't anything like that. He was a faithful minister in the Lord. He was a faithful help to Paul. Um, he wrote down this letter. You can see this at the end of Ephesians chapter 6. After verse 24, it says, To the Ephesians, written from Rome by Tychicus. So he wrote down these words that were delivered to the Ephesians. And um, so he was Paul's scribe, <laughs> in a way, and um, also delivery boy. And if it wasn't for that, we wouldn't be able to have studied this book of Ephesians. Um, and neither would this Ephesian church have been encouraged to continue in the faith um, by this letter. So never underestimate the value of being faithful to the small things God has called you to do. I'm going to say that again. Never underestimate the value of being faithful to the small things God has called you to do. Do it well. Do it heartily as to the Lord. Do it faithfully. It's these easily overlooked deeds that often make the biggest impacts. Verse 23 and verse 24, it says, Peace be to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all of them that love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. So this is a common greeting for Paul to make towards the churches. He prays for them for peace, for love, faith and grace. I hope that this is your prayer for the saints as well, especially those who love the Lord in sincerity. May we all be counted among those who love the Lord with our whole heart, mind, soul and strength. That is to love him and in sincerity. All right. That is the book of Ephesians. It's been a true blessing for me to study these things and to be able to teach these things. So I, I do thank the Lord for that. And I thank all of you who, who went through the book with us. And um, I hope it's been a blessing to you. And I hope that you'll be able to apply many of these things so practical um, in your daily life. And may the Lord use you for his glory um, as you grow in these things that we study. So as promised, um, I will give you... Um, just the questions for the Ephesians exam, and then we will close. So, Ephesians exam, um, first question is, what is the predominant theme throughout the book? Use a verse from the book to support your answer. Now, in the first lesson, I gave you many verses um, of what this theme is, and um, there are many verses you can choose from. Um, question two, are Christians unconditionally elected, saved? Um, briefly explain your answer. Now, I think most of your answers should come from Ephesians chapter 1, um, the condition for election and how um, God, is it uh, that God forecalls everything? Does he foreknow everything? That whole idea that we discussed there in Ephesians chapter 1. And um, question 3, in Ephesians 1 verse 14, 
to what does the redemption of the purchase possession refer? Now, um, we looked at a few verses, but Romans 8 verse 22 to 23 will be quite important as to what this um, redemption of the purchased possession refers to. Question four, what does dead mean in Ephesians 2, 1 and 5? Briefly explain your answer. What does dead mean? We looked at that in Ephesians chapter 2 and I think Romans 16 verse 11 will be key um, to answering this question. Um, what had to be abolished in order for the Jews and Gentiles to be reconciled? You can find that in Ephesians 2.15. Um, question 6. Which particular mystery is explained in chapter 3? Um, you should be able to know that even from discipleship. Question 7. When Jesus died, where did his soul go according to chapter 4? And what did Jesus do there? All right, so we, we looked at Ephesians um, chapter 4, and um, you'll be able to find the answer there, I believe. And um, we also spoke about what Jesus did there. Um, good reference would be 1 Peter 3.19, um, or um, Jesus on the cross. And um, yeah, so I think there's enough to, to motivate there. Question 8, what is the purpose of the offices, apostle, prophet, pastor, and so on, that we read about? Um, so I think the purpose is explained nicely in, in the book, so I won't say any more than that. Um, give a verse from Ephesians and from any other book. Supporting the personhood of the Spirit. The personhood of the Spirit. So what makes the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, not just a force, but also gives him a personal character. And um, we read um, in Ephesians chapter 4 about one of them. And um, there are many others in John, um, John 14, 16, 15, and so on. Um, and there are others. So you are welcome to name any of those other supporting ones as well. Question 10. What should come after the putting off and go before the putting on of the new man? Um, you'll find that in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 23. What is integral to all Christian relationships? I mentioned that again tonight. I mentioned it last week. What is integral? What is key to um, all Christian relationships? You'll find that if in Ephesians 5, um, over there and also in um, Colossians 3.23. In your own words, explain why Ephesians chapter 6 verse 1 is vitally important. Now, I, I, I acknowledge that this is a slightly subjective question and um, it will be marked accordingly. But we spoke about what makes obedience to parents of utmost importance for, for children, not just to be saved one day, but also just to be good citizens of any um, society. And then verse 13, oh, verse 13, question 13, um, what is the significance of the phrase according to the flesh um, in Ephesians 6 verse 5? We spoke about that tonight. Then your memory verses are Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 and 9 and Ephesians chapter 4 verse 29. 
All right, this will also be on Google Drive tonight, um, if it isn't already. And then this exam needs to be done by um, next week, Wednesday. So you can do that when you have time. All right, that's it for Ephesians. Next week there will be class, and you will be going through the book of Philippians with Francois. So I'm sure that will be a blessing. All right, let's have a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you so much for this time. <clears throat> Lord, thank you that we can um, just enjoy studying your word, Lord. It, I always walk away refreshed after spending time with you, after diving deep into your word, Lord, and um, always coming out with it with ample things to apply, things to aspire to, to change and to ultimately be more conformed to your son. Lord, we learned so much in this book. Um, help us to, when we study this book again, when we read it again, when questions get thrown our way, Lord, that we will be able to answer things from this book for your glory and that that you will be magnified through this knowledge um, that we have attained in this study. Lord, we ask that you please bless the rest of this evening and uh, please be with us um, as we go into our day tomorrow, um, that these things will be near to our heart and that we would treat those who are in authority over us the way that um, you desire us to treat them. But ultimately, Lord, that everything that we do, that we would do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, everyone. I hope you have a blessed evening.